0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, for those of you that are guests with us, thanks so much for choosing to worship with us, coming to check us out. We know it you know, it can be a weird thing walking into a new place, not really sure what to expect and things like that. And so hopefully your experience here this morning is a good one. Um, if you are a first-time guest with us, and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Um, and so if you are with us for the very first time, we would absolutely love the opportunity to connect with you, answer any questions that you have. Um, just find out how we could potentially minister to you and serve you and your family. And so the easiest way to do that is to text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668. And so if you don't get it um, from the slide there behind me, it is on the seat back in front of you um, on the little sticker there. On that sticker, there is that text number as well as a QR code, um, so that you can give. Now, that's not necessarily for those of you that are first time Guess but those of you that are regular parts of the table, if you want to take advantage of that, I um, just want to remind you that it is there. Um, before we get into the message this morning, I just want to encourage you with this. Um, and so I'm going to preface everything that I'm getting ready to say by saying I don't want you to feel guilty. This is not an admonishment, um, it's just an encouragement to let you know what happens for those of you that. Like man, And I get this too, right? I understand sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning. Um, For those of you that have kids, it's hard to get kids up and moving in the morning on Sundays. And so it's really easy to think, man, like if we're just a couple of minutes late, we're not really going to miss anything. Um, And so let me tell you what you do miss if you don't get here on time. So we play with... uh, Order of service a little bit every once in a while, just because, like, I think Cody and I get bored um, with doing the exact same thing every time, so we change things up. But for the last few months, we have been doing at the very beginning of the service what we internally, and I'm letting you in on some stuff um, so like you get inside secrets today. What we call the first five. Like, we're not publishing that, like, it's not, we don't know that that's a great thing, but like, it's the first five minutes of the service. Here's kind of what we do. We've been doing this for a few months where we're giving like ministry updates and things that are happening. And like this morning, for those of you that weren't here, we had Brandy, um, our kids director, come and just share a little bit about what's happening in kids' ministry. And so don't think, man, like if we just get there in the middle of the first song, we really haven't missed anything because you've actually already missed the first five, which might be like a really significant thing that would be a great encouragement to you and your family. So having said all that, hey, I get it. Let's just do the best we can, okay? So, I'm not going to say that again. Let's pray and we'll we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thanks for um, the privilege of being able to gather together to worship you. And, you know, like Miranda said this morning, um, our praise and our worship of you is our sign of victory and experiencing victory because of what you've done for us. God, it's not... um, We haven't won the victory, but the victory has been secured through what Jesus did when he laid down his life for us so that by faith in him, we could have a relationship with you that should change everything about us and last forever. And I pray, Father, that we would never take that for granted, the grace and the goodness that you extend to us. And Father, we recognize um, that we fall short um, regularly, um, but you still pursue us with your grace. And so help us understand that a little bit more today. I pray that as we spend some time in your word, that you would be our teacher and our guide. Um, Father, encourage us where we need to be encouraged in those places of our lives, uh, in those areas where we need to be challenged. Father, I pray that you would, through the work of your spirit, convict us of sin and help us to get things right with you, knowing that you do love us. May we never doubt that. Thanks for the promise that Paul wrote in Romans that nothing separates us from your love, that you've given to us freely in Jesus, and may that transform who we are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So today we are continuing our series called Enough, and the passage that we're looking at today recounts the story of Peter denying any association with Jesus whatsoever, just When Jesus was arrested, his trial began almost immediately. Most of the disciples um, scattered. They ran off, fearing for their own lives, but Peter followed at a distance. And it was there in the midst of the beginning part of, of the trial of Jesus where Peter denied knowing Jesus not once, but three different times. And I believe that this is one of the scariest passages of Scripture in all the bible. The reason being like while I would like to think if I were in Peter's place I wouldn't have done what Peter did how do I really know? And sometimes we do give Peter a hard time because he was often the one who maybe stuck his foot in his mouth. He did that on a few different occasions. Like in the moment of the transfiguration when Jesus was revealed in all of his glory, and so he's shining bright like light, and Moses and Elijah appear with him. It was Peter who said, oh man, this is great. I'm glad that we're here. We can build three temples, one for each of you. And in essence, what he's saying is like, we can worship all three of you. And it was then that he heard the voice of the Father say, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, hey, Peter, this one is different than the other two. It was Peter who, when the disciples were in the boat and they saw Jesus, what appeared to be a person, they came to find out it was Jesus walking to them on the water. And it was Peter who said, hey, if it's really you, let me come out on the water. And so Jesus said, go ahead. And it was there in the midst of the wind and the waves that he began to sink. And Jesus rescued him. And Jesus said to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's Known as in that moment, having little faith. It was Peter, I think this may be the worst thing that anybody could ever say to a follower of Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me Satan. Right? He really messed up in that moment. But yet at the same time, Peter's a hero. We know Peter is the leader of the disciples, the leader of the early church. And while, yes, Peter did see the wind and the waves and begin to doubt, he was the only one who was willing to take a step outside the boat when everybody else sat inside. And Peter was the one who spoke up when Jesus said, hey, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, listen, you're right, Peter, but the only reason you know that is because it has been revealed to you by the Father. It was Peter who, and I believe that he meant this when he said it. I'm willing to die for you if that's what it takes. But yet here in the greatest test of his faith, he failed. And again, well, I want to think, man, like I would never do what Peter did. How do I know? I'm not a huge fan of the left-behind books in movies. If you don't know what those are, you might be better off. Um, but the left-behind books, they are a fictional telling of what may happen after the rapture before Jesus comes back. Like, here's what the end of the world is going to be like. I'll, I'll tell you why I'm not really a huge fan of them. The, the reality is that we know so little about what's going to happen at the end times and what happens when people watch the movies or read the books. There's the assumption that this is the way that it is, and so everything, like in the book of Revelation, is applied to current day. And so then we become obsessed with it, trying to figure out what the current events of our day, is this it, is this that, When's it, when is it going to happen? Is this the mark of the beast? Listen, all of those things are happening in our world today, and the reality is I don't know that we know any of those things, and so rather than it could be like this or it might be like this, everybody just assumes it is like this when it's really not. Having said that, though, there are times where just driving down the road, just thinking to myself, I think, well, man, if it's like that, if it gets really bad like that, Like, where we're forced to say yes or no to faith, and our lives depended on it, like, what would I say? And again, I would hope I would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that would never, you know, even saying something different would never even come to my mind. But again, like, how do I know? Like, what if I didn't say yes or couldn't? A few years ago, I read this book called The Heavenly Man, which is about, uh, it's the biography of a Chinese pastor in communist China. So it tells his story, how he came to faith in Christ, how he became a pastor, talks about the persecution that he went through, how he was in prison, the suffering, the torture that he went through because of his faith. And you get to the end of the book and you're like, man, like, I want to be like that. Or if I were in that position, like, I want to be like that. But again, I think to myself, like, how do I know if I would? Because in the moment of the greatest test of faith for Peter, he failed, and I think to myself, like, how would I be any different? And, and what's worse is to think about this, like, maybe there have been times in my life where I did have already denied the faith, and I didn't even realize it. And here's what I mean: I don't like. Has anybody ever said? hey, are you a Christian? And I said, no, like that's never happened. But my fear is that potentially my behavior or something that I did denied the faith to somebody else and I didn't even recognize it. Like maybe through something that I've done, I've caused somebody to think something different about the life of faith and it is actually meant to be. And thinking about that and that level of failure can cause all kinds of feelings, disqualification, unworthiness. We begin to think like, okay, who am I to tell anybody about this? Because maybe I've already really messed up. But that's why Peter's story is really good for us too. Because it's not just a story of failure. But as you look at the end of Peter's story, which we're going to do this morning, It's a story of forgiveness and redemption. So if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the passage that we're looking at this morning in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read for us Luke 22, 54 through 62 here in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen as I read it. Or um, if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. Um, Some helpful resources in there as well to, to just... Uh, be reminded about the things that we talk about today. There's some questions um, for further discovery and things like that. But here is Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54. They seized him, him being Jesus. They seized him and led him away and brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I'm not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I mean, Just remind you where we've been over the last few weeks in this series, we started with Jesus gathering together in the upper room with the disciples. It was there that they were celebrating the Passover, which was this huge feast. Uh, Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem every single year for the purpose of remembering the goodness and graciousness of God when he rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. But it was there as they gathered together that Jesus told the disciples that soon he was going to die. And he he even instituted what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or communion when he took elements of that Passover meal and gave them significance towards his death. First, it was the bread, which was broken, representing his body, which was broken for us. And then the cup, which represents his blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. From there, they went out to the garden And Jesus prayed and he prayed, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Agonized in prayer, recognizing what was soon going to happen. And almost just at the moment that Jesus finished praying, here came Judas. One of the twelve disciples, one of his closest followers with some soldiers, and some religious leaders to arrest Jesus. It was Judas who betrayed him. Immediately, Jesus was taken to the home of the high priest, and that's where his trial began. The rest of the disciples scattered in fear for their lives, but Peter followed at a distance. And it was there in those early morning hours that Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. The greatest test of his faith, he failed. Well, what's really strange is that Peter should have known. He should have known that this moment was coming. And the reason that he should have known is because Jesus told him. You go back uh, into the early, earlier part of Luke 22, starting right around verse 30, where Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. In other words, his life was getting ready to be shaken up. Now exactly why God allowed that to happen, we don't know. I, I think the language of what Jesus said is similar to what we read in the book of Job. In Job chapter 1, Satan goes to present himself before the Lord. And basically what Satan does at that moment is he accuses God of manipulating the lives of people so that they like him. If you were with us last week, we talked about this simple faith formula that we'd like to live according to, but we know it's not really true. Like, if I do this, God's going to do this, and my life's going to be easy. Basically, what Satan was accusing God of doing was doing something so that everybody's lives were easy, and therefore they would follow him. And so God allowed Satan to test Job. We don't know if something similar happened in this instance. We don't really know Satan's motivation in this. Maybe he felt like if he could get Peter, then everything else would fall apart, and this was the end, and from our perspective, evil would win forever. But Peter should have known. Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. This is coming, and Peter's response to that was, Listen, Jesus, I'll go to prison and even die for you if that's what it takes. And that's when Jesus said, listen Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And So he should have known that this wasn't just something in theory that was going to come at some point or something that was going to happen at some point in the future, but like this was getting ready to happen tonight. And yet somehow he still wasn't prepared. And so I kind of look at Peter's story in this moment. And I think to myself, okay, what did Peter do wrong that caused that level of failure? Because if we can just figure out what Peter did wrong, we learn from him, we do the right thing instead of the wrong thing, then when we find ourselves in a similar situation, we're not going to do the same thing. And unfortunately, in the text, the answer is not given to us, right? There's not a verse that says, hey, here's how Peter messed up. Here's what he should have done. It doesn't say that, so we're left to just kind of wonder a little bit. But yet at the same time, I do think that there are two things potentially that led to Peter's downfall. And the two things that Peter did, maybe he struggled with, were pride and self-reliance. So first, when Jesus said, hey, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as we," what was his response? His response was, listen, I'll die if that's what it takes. Like, I'm ready. And In essence, I think he was saying, like, bring it on. Like, I'm ready for this kind of stuff. This is what I've been preparing for. This is pride. And then when they went to the garden, Jesus was there praying, but he very specifically instructed the disciples, pray so that you don't give into temptation. And what did Peter do, along with the other disciples? Fell asleep. And Jesus went back to him and woke him up and said, hey, like, guys, this is really important. You got to pray because something significant's getting ready to happen. You got to be ready for this. And yet, they didn't do what Jesus instructed them to do. Now, was it because Peter thought to himself, like, I can handle this, like, it's no big deal? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, the, the text tells us that they were just overcome with all that was happening, and, 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 and that's why they didn't pray. But yet at the same time, here's what we understand. Peter did not do what he needed to do in order to rely on the strength that God could give him so that he was ready for this moment of sifting when it did come. And so as I look at the story that we read and what's happening in Peter's life, the two things that I can point to as the potential that caused his downfall were pride and self-reliance. And then as I understand those things, here's what I think to myself. I think, oh shoot, I might be in trouble. And the reason being, because you know two things that I really struggle with? Pride and self-reliance. I think all of us would recognize that our lives are shaped by the things that we go through. So especially as we get a little bit older and understand more about ourselves and understand like, how, who we are, how we relate to people in the world around us, all those kinds of things, oftentimes we can point back to events or circumstances. It's like, okay, I'm this way, the reason I'm this way is because of that. Or the reason that I always respond this way in this situation is because of that experience, things like that. Now, there are other times where you might realize something about yourself and you're not really sure why you are the way you are. That was true for me. I have recognized most of my life that I am relatively self-reliant. Like if there's a problem, it's like, I'll fix it. I'll be able to handle it. Um, Something breaks, like I'll take care of it. I can handle it, and I didn't really know why I was that way. I just knew that I was. And then a few years ago, the light bulb came on, and I understood why. It was actually at my grandfather's funeral. My dad was talking, and he talked about this value, kind of being self-reliant, and. It I think in, in some ways it's really a positive value, right? Like you're not a burden on other people and things happen, you can handle it. You're not overwhelmed by you know, different events and things like that. It can be a positive thing, but like with lots of positive values, there's also a dark side of that too, a downside to it. And so the downside is, well, I can have a tendency to think I can do this, I'm smart enough to handle this. I'm strong enough to handle this. And it gets really bad when you begin to rely on yourself instead of relying on the strength that God gives to us doing what we need to do. And so it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking, I am enough, when in reality we aren't enough. And as I look at Peter's example, like, I just wonder if that was part of his deal. Like he thought he was enough, he thought he could handle it, when in reality, he didn't have the ability. In the moment of Peter's greatest test of faith, he failed it because he didn't do what was necessary to get ready. Now, he should have seen it coming. Now, here's the dangerous thing for us. Jesus told Peter very specifically, hey, this is going to happen. Now, he didn't get it completely, but Jesus said that. But the danger for us is we don't know when our sifting is coming. We may not be able to see that test of faith coming, so we have to always be doing the things that we need to do in order to prepare for that time whenever it comes, because inevitably, throughout the course of our lives, it will come. Let's go back to the garden. There in the courtyard as Jesus' trial is beginning to take place, I can't imagine what was going through Peter's mind. I'm sure his mind was running 1,000 miles an hour just trying to process all that had just happened within the last few hours and trying to make sense of it all, wondering what was taking place, trying to listen very intently to the questioning that was going on inside the, the house there as these uh, accusations, false accusations, were being presented to Jesus. And it was there in the dim firelight of the courtyard. At first, the servant girl Goes to Peter and says, Hey, you're with him. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And the language behind it is not just like, I'm not one of them, I'm not one of the disciples, I'm not with him. It's like, I don't even know who that guy is. Like, this is all brand new to me. Then a little while later, somebody else begins looking at him again and says, No, like, you are one of them. He said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And so now it's not just a denial of his association with Jesus, but now there's a sense in which he's turning his back on his friends too. And then a little while later, just before dawn, somebody else says, listen, You are one of them because you're a Galilean. It's like I've heard you talk and your accent gives you away. You are from Galilee. There's no way that you're not one of them. That's the only reason you're here. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crows. And Jesus turned from his place inside the house. And his eyes met Peter's. And in that moment he was devastated. Remembering the words of Jesus. And the text says that he went outside and wept bitterly because he felt unworthy, disqualified, and useless. And I wonder if you've ever been there. Maybe you felt like you've blown it to the point that God should never forgive you. God would never do anything for you. And certainly there is no reason that God would ever use you again. But this is not the end of Peter's story. I think if we didn't know the rest of Peter's story, for those of us that might be aware of it, like I think just understanding the events, it would be really easy to come to the conclusion was, like this is the greatest tragedy ever. Somebody who had so much potential blew it to the point that they could never be used again. But this wasn't the end of Peter's story. Something incredible happened in his life. Now, in the moments following the, the death of Jesus, Peter really still struggled with usefulness, his, his place in, in what Jesus was doing, wondering what was going to take place. And we read Peter's name on a couple of different occasions after the resurrection. He was one of the ones who went to the tomb on resurrection morning. He, in fact, went inside to try to figure out what happened to Jesus's body. But yet the next major event that we read, we see Peter Again, still struggling with his place in what Jesus was doing, wondering whether or not he had any future at all. And he, along with some of the other disciples, went back to do what he had always done, the thing that he knew best. He went fishing. And that's when Jesus met Peter once again. It's an event that really reminds us very much of when Peter was first called to be a disciple of Jesus. This passage is found in the Gospel of John, if you want to go back and read it toward the end of John's Gospel. So, Peter and the other disciples were out fishing at night like they always did, and they hadn't had much success. And Jesus showed up on the beach and cried out to the boat and said, Hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Maybe that'll get better. And how they didn't get it at that moment, like, I don't, they were maybe a little slow. But as soon as the fish started jumping into the nets, like Peter understood right away. And it said that the the story says that Peter put his outer garment on because he was just kind of like there in his, maybe his underwear a little bit. So he put his robe on and swam to the beach because he knew that Jesus was there. And here's why I I think this story is so incredible. Partially because maybe the way that I picture Jesus post-resurrection, kind of like a ghost, and apparition showing up in different places. But Jesus made breakfast for the disciples. And so they have breakfast together. And after finishing breakfast, Jesus said, Peter, let's go on a walk. And on that walk, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And if you're familiar with that passage at all, you may know that The word for love changes between the question of Jesus and the response of Peter. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me, unconditionally love me? And Peter says, of course, I phileo you or brotherly love you. And so sometimes there's like big deals are made out of that change in language. I don't think it's that big of a deal because that's not the point. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. And he said, okay, I still have something I want you to do. Go feed my sheep kept walking. And a a few minutes later, Jesus once again turned to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, I still have something I want you to do. Go feed my lambs. And then Jesus turned to Peter a third time and said, Peter, do you love me? And as I picture it, this once hardened Peter, like I'm ready to die for you, is now broken Peter. And so with tears running down his cheeks, he said, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. And so I want you to understand the significance. Jesus asked that question three times, one for each of the denials of Jesus. Jesus was saying in that moment, Peter I forgive you. You are still useful. I still have something I want you to do. And that forgiveness was offered to Peter freely. Peter didn't ask for it. He didn't prove his faithfulness to Jesus through a series of tests. Jesus just showed up on the beach and said, Peter, I forgive you. And that's what I want you to know. In the moments of our greatest failures, Jesus is still enough. Where we may feel like we have blown it, like we're disqualified, useless, that God would never even do anything good for us, forgiveness is still freely offered to us. Because Jesus is enough. In fact, we even read 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just. He is faithful and just. It's right to do. The reason that it is right for God to forgive us when we confess our sins is because the punishment has already been paid. It has been paid through the death of Jesus. And so when we confess, therefore, because the punishment has been paid, it is right for us to be forgiven. And that's the graciousness of God, the goodness of God that's given to us. We don't deserve it. We don't have to prove anything. It is freely offered to us because Jesus is enough even in the midst of our greatest failure. And so for in those moments where we feel like we have blown it to the point that we could never be used, and those that guilt hangs over our head, and that feeling that where we have disqualified ourselves may grip us, I want you to know that you can be forgiven. All you have to do is confess. It is freely offered to us, and that forgiveness should change the direction of our lives. So we don't have to go back to an old pattern of dealing with issues, but we can continue to pursue God and allow him to work in us, recognizing this truth too. God still has a plan and a purpose for our lives because he freely offers that forgiveness to us. The reason he can is because Jesus is enough, even in the midst of our greatest failures. And that truth should change our lives. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's easy in the midst of the struggles that we go through, in the midst of those moments where maybe we haven't said that we're not Christians publicly, but maybe our, our lives haven't given testimony to the faith that we say we have. It's easy in those moments of failure to think that we've blown it to the point that like, we couldn't be used by you. That we've done so much that we can't really have a relationship with you, a close relationship with you. But I'm so thankful for Peter's story. That even in the midst of his greatest failure, Jesus was enough. And so Father, there may be some who are here this morning, maybe struggling now with that feeling of guilt. maybe feeling disqualified and unworthy of your love and your grace. Father, I pray that they would be able to embrace the forgiveness that is right there for them. That it's right there for all of us. And that that forgiveness that's freely given to us would change how we live so that we could lean into our relationship with you seeking after you, following after you, relying on you, because the truth is we aren't enough and we need you. But when we aren't enough, we know that Jesus is. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to allow that truth to transform our lives so that we can live for your honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.